This is Father Jacob Bertrand Jancic. And this is Father Gregory Pine. Welcome to Godsplaining. Thanks to all of those who support us. If you enjoy the show, please consider making a monthly donation on Patreon. Be sure to like and subscribe to Godsplaining wherever you listen to your podcasts. Father Gregory, here we are uh, recording yet another Godsplaining episode. <laughs> what a blessing to be together. How are it you? It is a blessing What's to up? be together. I'm doing well. Um, let's see. Cool things in uh, in Switzerland. I recently went, well, this isn't in Switzerland. I recently went up to the Netherlands to visit with the Dominican sisters of St. Cecilia who are assigned in Sittard um, and to do a lot of things apostolically. But one of those things is they run the chaplaincy of the University of Maastricht, the Catholic chaplaincy. So I went up there to visit with them and then to visit with their students. And we had a retreat day and it was great. Just a lot of really cool people coming from a lot of different places. So, you know, some people love you know, been practicing Catholics their whole life and are very serious about their ongoing conversion. And then other people who just started coming back to mass like a week previously and are kind of, you know, overwhelmed by all of the things that they're experiencing, but, but convicted that they're good. So it was really beautiful just to be with them, to chat with them. And uh, yeah, glad to have opportunities. On the way home, I had seven transfers, seven train transfers, one of which involved a bus and another which caught, involved a cancellation. So that was a blessing. Uh, cause nothing like a little ministry followed by a little bit of transportation punishment. So yep, doing well. How are you? I would never, there's not enough money in the world. <laughs> like I won't even take one layover on a flight. <laughs> <laughs> that like makes me like, like sick actually. Like the thought of that, gosh, but you also travel with like, like a homeless person, like just like. A, like a, a knapsack what are those things called like a, a handkerchief on a stick kind of thing uh, you know what like you know, oh i know you know you bundle it all up whereas i travel with like 42 trunks so yeah well okay all right like 40 but yeah um, gosh transfers. oh my you're like a 19th no. century regency lord you know you're mm -hmm. like derek did you bring the last trunk <laughs> Kind of, yeah. That's how I talk, exactly. exactly. But no, you don't talk monocle. to the people who move your trucks. Trunks. Why would I talk to Derek? Gosh, gosh. I was going to say something, but now I've been so distracted by like the crippling despair of thinking about you doing that. Um, yeah. Anyways, I think you asked what I was doing, and currently I'm in like mountain of paperwork for applications. I think. Um, nice. I was kind of imagining like how I would describe that. And if you thought of like, you know, like Scrooge McDuck who dives into his um, like pool of like money and swims in it, that's kind of like my office right now with papers, like mm. just kind of floating in. And then I worried, so this is wholly unrelated to anything, but you asked, so I'm going to say, sometimes my office leaks um, where, and like, it's an old building that we live in and that happens from time to time. And so I like, there are times when I like, I'm like falling asleep and I think like, oh no, what if it leaks and all the all the papers get ruined? And then <laughs> like, you know, these are the weird kind of musings of a vocation director at the Dominican National Society. So that's what's going on. It's really exciting. It's really exciting. So uh, yeah, but there you have it. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're actually here mm -hmm. to talk about somebody, another Dominican. Uh, you might not know that he is, but he is uh, Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati. It's not a first order Dominican. He's not a friar. But he is a third order Dominican. Was, I guess. We, what would you say is was? I mean, we make vows until death. I think we're Dominicans in heaven. So, 
I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. I'd say is, I mean, remember that image that was commissioned for the 800th anniversary of the order? What was the woman's name? Bernadette Carstensen. Um, and I think Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati is pictured in his heavenly glory wearing a habit. So according to... Wearing a habit. The, yeah, wearing a, wearing a kind of habit. So, oh, which was like a custom of the Third Order, I think, uh, prior to the Second Vatican Council, is that you would be buried in the habit. So, um, insofar as her artistic insight communicates something of the truth, he is a Dominican in heaven, or at the very least, he didn't get new clothes. Yeah. If you look on the, as I have in front of me currently, because I wanted to know his birth and death dates, if you look on the Wikipedia page for uh, Blessed Pier George Versati. Also, if you want to know where we get most of our information for the podcast, it's <laughs> Wikipedia. Uh, spoiler alert. But he has, you know, Dominicans have OP after their name on the website. On Wikipedia, it's TOSD, Third Order of St. Dominic. It's like, oh, wow. I didn't know they ever did that because I knew Third Order uh, members used to put TOP, Third Order Dominicans, and now generally just put OP. Um, but, anyways, uh, for those who don't know, Pier Giorgio was. Uh, was born 1901 died in 20 what 24 he was 24 years old so died in 1925 um mm -hmm. from turin from italy um and yeah i guess we're going to talk about him a little bit so father Gregory, you you tell us about him why we're talking about him now tell us about him for saudi yeah yeah when we were uh maybe yeah chatting through options for how best to highlight his sanctity, and uh, certainly to, to highlight his sanctity as a model for our own growth and holiness. I think it's helpful just to kind of break it out in terms of his virtues or his excellences, because he's a bridge builder. And the saints are all bridge builders in the sense that they open up for us the life of heaven. They show what it means to be like the Lord Jesus Christ, but in a way that's approachable, in a way that's imitable. And I think that um, Pier Giorgio Frassati is very inspiring for that reason, because he's very human, right? He's very imitable. But he lived his humanity in a way that was like transparent to the working of the grace of God. So, yeah, I mean, there's just lots of just lots of human stories, but also lots of stories which, yeah, kind of call you up or call you into the divine mysteries. Um, yeah, the first one that I was thinking about is, I mean, Blessed Pier Giorgio Frassati was he was kind of a brawler. I mean, he was a guy who was ready to fight. Um, so there's a kind of tenacity there. There's a kind of what you know, a fighting spirit. And you can see this on natural and kind of supernatural planes, but the one, one, the one story that I was thinking about is, I think his family was out in their, their country home in Polone, which I actually visited one time when I was a student at Steubenville. Uh, we did the semester abroad in Austria, took trips on the weekends, and one weekend we went to Turin and Polone, and you could stay in the basement of his family's summer home, which is really beautiful. Um, but because his father was the editor of a newspaper which had political affiliations, sometimes they would get flack from political adversaries. And one day there were a couple of fascists that broke into their family home. And Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati just met him in the foyer and then fought them off. So outmanned, outgunned, uh, potentially overpowered, in no way dismayed. He just fought fascists out of his, you know, he fought fascists out of his, uh, his family's foyer because sometimes you got to fight a fascist. <laughs> That's awesome. All in a day's yeah. work. Indeed. But I don't know, you have other favorite things Blessed Pier Giorgio Frasati's yeah. uh, fighting spirit. Yeah, I th gosh, I, th I don't know if I knew of Pier Giorgio before entering the order, but uh, maybe I, I can't remember the exact details. 
uh, of that timeline. But I certainly know that I became well acquainted with him in the novitiate and that he was somebody, his, his sister wrote a couple books on him. Um, and I read those in the novitiate and sort of developed a devotion to Pier Giorgio. Then one of the things that kind of, yeah, I guess initially caught my attention on, on Pier Giorgio and maybe because it's like reading about him is not kind of, it, it's, it's much more, I don't know. I don't want like relatable in ways because he's a 20th century person. Um, so like he's much more contemporary as opposed to saints who had lived centuries ago and that sort of thing. So you can, and, and he died when he was 24 and I was 22 in the novitiate. So that's, there's a, and I guess whatever, 22, uh, kind of a relatability, especially to his kind of like his friendships and his, his sort of outdoors kind of love for the outdoors, for climbing, for skiing. A lot of the pictures you see of him, he's like on the side of a rock face or like on a mountain with a pipe or like with his friends wearing a stupid hat, like drinking like paper hat, like drinking beer. And, um, there's just like a sort of humanity to him that that's, uh, I guess, readily accessible. And that's not so much like a fighting spirit thing, but you can sort of, I don't know, make a similar kind of um, observations and um, insights into into the man and into who he was. And um, yeah, and all of that. And I think that sort of, I guess, a fighting spirit and as much as like a sort of passion and zeal for life, you know, fighting mm -hmm. off fascists and living with his friends and sharing sharing his life with them but that also turns into like or like not turns into but also included his love for the poor um and his uh yeah his service to the poor and, and like what i guess one of the things here that stands out in my mind is um that he he died very quickly uh Pierre George was only sick for a few days of uh, a type of polio is that right am i remembering yep. that correct like polio yep. my myelitis mm -hmm. is that yeah oh good good memory Yay, me. Uh, good job. Uh, uh, and uh, like his, his family wasn't aware of the way by which he served other people, gave other people, uh, gave to other people until like, his funeral. There's there's this picture I know in one of the books that his sister wrote of like his being him being carried in his in his casket down the road, just like swarmed by like mobs of people who came out to to mourn his death. And it was the first time his family knew of his sort of like influence and, and role in people's lives throughout the city of Turin, which is a pretty incredible reality. Um, I mean, on one hand, it shows like, yeah, right, this like tenacity, this zeal, this ready to fight kind of characteristic, but also um, one that's like tempered in, in virtuous ways by humility and self-sacrifice. Um, so I think that's all of a piece. I don't, yeah, I think that's all of a piece. Yeah, when, um, yeah, when thinking about his, his model and witness, in a certain sense, it's it's a specific model for the early 20th century in Italy because he's very much involved in his political context. But I think it also helps us, you know, 21st century America, wherever you're listening to this episode, um, because he breaks out of ready-made categories. He's not just like um, an easily identifiable trope, right? He's not just like what you would call a traditional Catholic or a conservative Catholic or a liberal Catholic or a blah, 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 thus and such Catholic. I mean, he believed, right? So he's orthodox insofar as he takes the revelation and grace of our Lord Jesus Christ very seriously. But then he just permitted that to transform his humanity. And so you see this in a variety of registers, or you see this in just different aspects of his life. So he's very, one, for one, he's very politically involved. And I think a lot of us, like political involvement kind of has an unhealthy savor to it. It's like, ah, but you know, he knew that the common good depended upon it. And certainly during the years of and immediately following the first world war, it was necessary, right, to fight for your patrimony. 
there's this famous quote of his, I think it's in one of his letters, or maybe it's one of the addresses that he gave to one of the political societies that he, that he was a member of, but he says something like, to live without faith, without a patrimony, or without a patrimony to defend, without a steady struggle for truth, that is not living, but existing. And so he got in there, like he was influential in founding the Italian Popular Party. He was very much involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society, which at that time was more politically active than at present. Um, kind of like downstream of its founding by a gentleman whose name I think was Frederick Ozana. And then also like, I mean, he was in a lot of political manifestations. He was arrested multiple times for precisely this reason. But then on the other hand, like you said, he is constantly present to and of service to the material poor. So the stories that you hear about that are, they're, they're wild. They're great. They're just super touching. Um, what, you know, his family was very rich. We, we talked about his dad. And so whenever he had ready money, which was often, he would give it away. And even when he was given a big gift or the offer of a big gift from his family, he would often sell it so that he could take care of his poor. And he just had a running list of people in Turin whom he, you know, he saw to their needs. He was the one who was the go-between. And it's often thought, I think, that he would have contracted polio from, you know, one of the people whom he served. Um, so he's, yeah, he's, he's in it to win it, but in every imaginable register, which I think makes him such a light for the 21st century where we are somewhat more tempted to fall into tropes, be they, you know, good, bad, or indifferent. Yeah. Yeah. One of the, um, one of the, I think it's also the, the books that his sister wrote on him have a lot of like family pictures and yeah, just photos of things from his life. And on when he was, so Pierre Giorgio, he, he started to feel sick on one day and within the course of a week, right. He died within six days of like his first kind of illness. And I think his, one of the books that Luciano Frassati is his sister who wrote, right? Yeah, who wrote yep. the book. Uh, one of them is um, His Last Days, which just recounts like the last week of his life. And I think it's in this book. Um, there's a photo of a letter. It's just really not a letter. It's not a letter. It's a note, like a really short note of an instruction. If he was supposed to pick up or get medicine to somebody, you know, one of these people that he was on his list and even on his deathbed, um, as he's like dying from polio within like the span of less than a week, this is like on his mind that he scratches out this barely legible note of like someone to deliver who is who is expecting some like medicine or something, you know, so this is like, until his last moments, his life was not lived for him. Um, which is which is weird to think of like a 24 year old living that way. Because we look around the I mean, not just not to just if you're 24. I'm sorry, I'm not just making fun of you. But like, or like a 34 year old, I'm 34. And most of my life center centers around thoughts of like, what do I want? And what's good for me? Um, but the, the this like, this desire to give and I think this is kind of the uh, like a, a, a connection between those characteristics of like the tenacity, the ready to fight, but also like the service. It's like, he was a man who who lived a, a Christ like charity like totally oriented towards another, um, which as Father Gregory was saying, does not put you in a box. Uh, it doesn't leave a man or, or, or woman sort of contained to a caricature, but allows for like the freedom uh, to live as a disciple and which is, you know, how Pier Giorgio lived. So um, it's, it's just striking to have those kind of witnesses uh, in such a young man who died, what, not, not 100 years ago, I'm just kind of like ready at hand. Yeah. And the thing, another thing that I love about that too, is that it's just very simple and straightforward. I think a lot of, you know, we spend a lot of time agonizing or anguishing over how best to serve or what best to do. Uh, but we don't necessarily get about the business of doing it 
Whereas it seems to me that just the opposite is the case with Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati. Not that he didn't have thoughts in his head because he had plenty of thoughts in his head, but he was a man of action um, in the sense that he recognized that the gospel had a claim on his life and it drew him out of himself into these acts of service that, you know, you describe, we describe. Uh, so like, for instance, when he was thinking about his vocation, you know, he, he thought about the priesthood, but he said, I want to become a mining engineer <laughs> because I can do the most good in the mines. Uh, it was just like a, a very simple recognition. You know, this is a big industry in the North and uh, I want to be present to the people. So I'm going to study the things that I need to study in order I can have the conversation and be present too. Just like, boom. And I think he was one exam short of obtaining his degree from the Polytechnic University in Turin, uh, which degree was, you know, later granted posthumously. Um, but yeah, there's, there's no, you know, he's just thinking like, I want to serve people. This is a place, this is a place where I can serve people best. So I'm just going to do it. And, um, yeah, there's something about that approach with, which I think is very estimable. There's no prerequisites to living the gospel, right? Grace creates the conditions for its reception and for its use. So, uh, when you got it, you just, you, you use it. <laughs> so it's not as if there are stages before you become a Christian where you need to take the necessary steps in order to, well, no, it's just, you know, like Christ is making this gift available in your life, seize upon it, and then be about your business. And I think that Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati is a real light when it comes to that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think in different ways so far we've talked about is like ways by which he's, he loved his, his charity, you know, whether that be for the poor, for his friends, for, you know, for sort of bigger kind of dreams of like service and more generally, like with his desire to be an engineer, these kind of things. Um, but especially his his last kind of days, there there are a number of uh, people in his life that kind of highlight his his like, I, guess, I don't know, like readiness to love the way by which he loved, you know, I think of the girl that he loved Laura, his family, you know, his parents, the circumstances of his death around the death of his grandmother. Um, you want to talk about some of that, that, that yeah. more specifically? Yeah, yeah. No, I think when we talk about charity, we're talking about an ordering of loves. So it's not just a matter of loving everything always at, you know, at, at the highest or at the utmost degree, but it's a matter of loving the things as they, as they ought to be loved. And you see in him, obviously, a great love of God, but it's, uh, it's present throughout his relationships. And so his, you know, his parents' relationship was stressed. Um, and, uh, and certainly he suffered from that, but he remained, you know, like loving and obedient to them. Like you mentioned, you know, he fell in love with this young woman, Laura Hidalgo. Uh, she was part of the group of friends that would often go to the mountains together for these alpinist trips. Uh, but when he made that known to his family, they said no, and that was that, right? And he was obedient, which is kind of strange for a 21st century audience, but you can see in it, a kind of a kind of deference and love a respect for his parents and then like his pie i mean his piety is also awesome insofar as it does betray like a great a great love you hear some cool stories like he was praying before the altar hot wax started dripping from a candle onto him and he didn't even notice because he was so wrapped in attention um or i think also of the pilgrimages that he made up to that mountaintop near the family home in polonia it's, i think it's like our lady of europa i'm probably pronouncing it wrong slash biffing it but whatever um, but he, he loved to make these pilgrimages and he liked to do them early in the morning so he could get about his work for the rest of the day. And so he would like tie a string to his hand or to his finger and then drop it out his second story window. And then the gardener would, when he'd show up for work in the morning, he'd just pull on it. That was his alarm clock. So that way he could be up and about his pilgrimage, hiking to the top of this, this mountain sanctuary and, you know, showing his effects, showing his love for the blessed Virgin Mary. So yeah, there's just, there's just so much, so much testimony to the fact that he was a man who loved Right. Like you said, he, you know, he loved this woman. He loved his parents. He loved his family, loved his friends. 
you know, love the poor to whom he was sent. And um, there's a kind of grandeur to it insofar as his heart was made very capacious for all those to whom he was sent. Um, but yeah, I don't know if you got other stories or ever other things about him that you love in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. The, when I first read his biography, um, one of the things that was, I was like, what, like, what are you doing? Uh, kind of moments was, was when he first started to feel sick. Um, when he, yeah, when he first started to feel sick, like body aches, fever, that sort of thing. One of the first or second days that, that kind of hit him, um, his grandmother passed, uh, I believe it was his, was it his maternal grandmother? I don't remember. I think it was right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his, his grandmother had passed. So he had complained about being sick. Um, it was kind of brushed off as sort of, you know, well, like you're sick, but like she just died. So we have like, you know, there's a funeral to plan and like those kind of things, which is like, if you don't think it's a serious illness, um, it's like, yeah, I mean, th th perhaps that's like a normal reaction, but even as his, his sickness grew and grew and intensified in the coming days, um, he, he didn't insist, like he didn't push himself in and, and that sort of thing. Um, maybe it was just, again, thought that like, oh, I'm not feeling well, I'll feel better. So there wasn't like an urgency to like, I'm dying type thing, which wasn't recognized at first. Um, but yeah, at least in my mind, I, I, I always thought that like, and first reading about it and thinking about it that like, well, why, like, why didn't you say anything? And then I think of all, like every kind of like 24 year old when he's sick, like the, like nobody calls for, goes to the doctor, right? It's like, oh, I'll see how I feel in a week. And then it's like, I'm still feeling crappy. It's like, no, I'm feeling better. You know, like the whole sort of back and forth. So you can understand kind of the, the how that's like a natural kind of thing. And, and then the illness came very quickly, but, um, and, and kind of thinking about the the humility there. And yeah, I don't, I don't want to over spiritualize the sort of like he, people didn't seek medical attention because they didn't think it was a serious kind of illness. I'm not saying that that was somehow some sort of miraculous kind of whatever, but you can see the virtue at work of, you know, of, of charity of, of trying to mourn the death of his grandmother and give like, you know, do that with his family and do that well. And also like, just kind of, yeah, not make things about him. Um, I don't know, being, I'm a millennial, I think, right? I'd never remember these years. I'm a millennial and there's, I think, a temptation uh, or there's kind of, maybe it's a caricature of millennials, but it's sort of, you know, we are the center of the universe type thing. And you don't, you don't get that with Pierre Giorgio. And I think it's especially highlighted in these, you know, in the circumstances of his illness and death and the death of his grandmother and the mourning of the family. Um, and it kind of, I think it strikes me or it struck me a little more like on the nose because my disposition was to like prefer myself. Like I need attention. I need to be helped. I need to be cared for. And it's like, well, that's not, that's not always at the heart of charity. It's not at the heart of charity. In fact, yeah. I mean, that's of course not to say that like we shouldn't care for our bodies and health and stuff. And obviously we should, but there, you know, the way by which this, this love is expressed is in Pierre Giorgio is it's like, it's so, um, what like uncomplicated and just like in your face that it's like whoa each time you read about it whether it's like with the poor with laura with his parents with his death with his grandma each time it's just like you're just kind of like slapped by like there's just no pretense you know there's no pretense around it, it seems and it, it he i think in many ways serves as a great example of that reality um yeah for us for us to sort of imitate and for him to intercede for us for that for that imitation that conformity to christ Boom. Yeah. Um, I mean, at a certain point, you're just going to have to say the man has all the virtues because all Christians by their baptism have all the virtues. And I think 
Pope John Paul II, or Saint, Pope St. John Paul II, highlights that in the homily that he gave on the occasion of his beatification, saying that this was a man of the Beatitudes, which is to say, like, this is a man on whom the Spirit of Christ rests uh, and in whom it is abundantly and evidently active. But I think, you know, maybe just to return to the point from earlier, the fact that he, he builds a bridge between our lives and the life of heaven. There's something about pure Georgia, which is, which is so imitable or that's like so lovable on account of the fact that it's so real or that it's so gritty. Um, because I just, <laughs> I love the fact that he's, yeah, he's just a dude, right? He's an absolute dude. He's kind of a bro. Um, and there are many, I don't know what you would call him, but there are many peculiarities of his life, which just bear that out. So for one, <laughs> I love this because you'll, you'll know why I love this. Um, he loved singing, but he was not a good singer. Um, and he wanted to like, you know, lend his voice to the praise of God. But he also knew that it was a major distraction. So this one parish church where he would go often for daily mass in Turin called the Consolata, he would just kind of tuck himself in a back corner and just, just ball out the songs, you know, because it's like, oh, Jesus. Um, and it was just, apparently, it was, it was terrible. Uh, but he just couldn't be stopped because his disposition was, Lord, you gave me a voice. I'm going to give it back. And here we go. Uh, the, the correction that I received most frequently in the novitiate was for singing in public. Father, Father Jacob Burchett can testify. So this for me is a, is a great light insofar as it permits me to continue in my imperfection without, uh, without any penitence. Yeah. It wasn't just the novitiate that you've been corrected from singing in public. So, um, <laughs> let the record show that when yeah. I entered this recording studio, Father Gregory was singing. <laughs> <laughs> going to call you out, but that's all right. <laughs> it's done. It's better. Yeah. His, uh, that I mentioned to the, um, the uh, photo of him with his friends, like they had like stupid paper, stupid paper hats on and like beer steins in their hands. And, um, was it, what was the name of the, there was a group, but right. Uh, is that, I think it's, I don't know again, how to pronounce anything in Italian, but like the TP Lowski, which is like the shady characters club. Um, yeah. and they had all names of revolutionaries, like, Robespierre, for instance, was, I think, his tag name. So these guys, they're bros. They're hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Also, when he, so he, I guess we, I mentioned at the beginning his, um, his being a third order Dominican. So he joined the, uh, the order of preachers by becoming like a, a lay, a lay member, took the name, the religious name, he never went by, but took the religious name um, of Savonarola, Geralamo Savonarola, who was, oh gosh, if you're looking for a spicy Dominican character, read up on him. He was, um, ex he was Dominican friar in Florence during the Medici reign and was burned at the stake for being a heretic. But then after his death was what, not a heretic anymore was kind of, uh, yeah. What's there's, there's a better word vindicated for that, but, um, or kind yeah. Of, yeah. Whatever you call it. Um, but like the bonfire of the vanities and the, all that, that's all around Savonarola. And that's, uh, that's the name that, uh, that pure Georgia took when he entered <laughs> when he became Dominican. So that's also, yeah, it's, uh, I think there's, I'm sure there's, there's devotion there, but I also would imagine there's some, that's, that's not accidental that, you know, he took the name of, of such a character. So, um, yeah, I think that also kind of just highlights this sort of rowdy, like whatever shady characters club of pure Georgia for Saudi. So there you have it. Any fuggery, we have a few minutes, a couple minutes left. Any final thoughts, offerings, uh, ruminations, meditations? Yeah. Last thought would be, um, I take great joy in the fact that Blessed Pure Georgia Frasati loved the mountains. 
Because I think that sometimes when we think about our Christian lives, we think about them in a kind of dour way, like, oh man, I'm baptized. I got to give praise and glory to God. I got to save souls. So maybe that means that I should spend every waking hour either on my knees or in direct service to the material poor. But Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati is often in the mountains. And it's hilarious too, because you read his letters, which were published by like St. Paul's Press a few years back, several years back. Um, and you'll read a letter from like, you know, July 4th. It's like, ah, oh, man, I got to really buckle down and finish this last exam. It's in a few days and um, I got to, I got to really get after it. And then the next day, there's another letter. It's like, hey, I decided to go to the mountains for a two-day hiking trip. So totally pumped. You should come. <laughs> and it's no surprise that he failed quite a number of exams and had to repeat them. But he's always up in the mountains. Um, there's a picture of him, you know, mountaineering. That's very famous. What he wrote on the words verso lauto, you know, to the heights or to the top. And on his door, apparently, he just wrote the words mountains, mountains, mountains. And one of the more beautiful quotes uh, from him about this particular theme is one that I return to with some frequency. He says, every day that passes, I fall more desperately in love with the mountains. I'm ever more determined to climb the mountains, to scale the mighty peaks, to feel that pure joy, which can only be felt in the mountains. So as Father Timothy Danaher often says, you're either a mountain person or a beach person, but whatever kind of person you are, there's something beautiful about God's creation, that second book in which we learn of him, in which we are restored and refreshed, especially in a time where it's super easy just to like get immersed in your work or get immersed in your desk, or what would you say, in your computer, these, that, and the other things. So, Blessed Pierre Giorgio Frassati shows us a way out of that and up into the glory of God, which I love very much. There you have it. Well, it's in the States, I guess we don't really celebrate his feast day very much because it falls on July 4th, and instead we have masses where we celebrate, sing like America the Beautiful and that sort of thing. <laughs> but if you're looking for his feast day, uh, it is the 4th of July. Easy to remember enough. So if, you're, if you want to learn more about Pure Giorgio, there are the two books that I mentioned by his sister, Luciana. Um, one is called A Man of the Beatitudes, um, which is from John Paul II's homily, as Father Gregory mentioned. The other is called uh, My Brother, Pure Giorgio, His Last Days. So that's about the last week of his life. Man of the Beatitudes is about his whole life, but both really, really excellent reads. Um, so check that out. Um, yeah, there you go. Pure Giorgio Versati. Um, I was trying to think if I had like a nice thing about mountain stuff, but I, I guess I don't, you know, you kind of summed it up. So that's all we have. So <laughs> thanks again to all of our supporters. If you'd like to help out with the work of Godsplaining, check us out at patreon.com slash Godsplaining. Thanks to all of you who already do. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, like, subscribe, leave a five-star review. These all help us out very much, even though they seem pretty simple. It's how it works. So thanks for that. Visit godsplaining.org to shop our merchandise and to get dates and information for our upcoming Godsplaining events. Uh, as we've mentioned, we have three retreats coming up, two in July, one in August. Um, check them out on the website if you're looking to get a little spiritual nourishment over the summer. Want to come out to a Godsplaining event? We'd love to have you. Spaces are filling up and limited, so check that out. Um, and as always, thanks for your prayers. Know that we are praying for you. And until next time, God bless.